Hi, welcome to Scattered. We're a group of friends from the same church who are serving God in different countries and we're meeting online to chat through books of the Bible, chapter by chapter. We'd love you to join us. Hi everybody, welcome to Scattered. We're in Acts 20 today and Paul is still on journey number three. We see after the riot in Ephesus last week that he encourages the believers and then he moves through Macedonia encouraging all the churches before spending three months in Corinth. Now lots of people think he wrote the letter we know as Romans in these three months in Corinth and then he's about to set sail to Syria when he hears about a plot on his life. And we know, don't we, from the previous chapters that there's a lot of Jews that have got a lot of problems with Paul. And I guess a boat is an easy place to dispose of somebody. And so he decides he won't get on the boat and get pushed overboard. And he decides on another long walk to Philippi alone. And then he meets up with Luke in Philippi, because like we saw earlier, the language changes to we and they celebrate Easter together. And then eventually he meets up with this group of merry men that we see in verses four and five. Now, I don't think we do especially well with lists of names in the Bible. We often just think they're a bit dull and race through them. But can any of you ladies, hi Mary, hi Helen, um, help us understand why he's got an entourage with him and why we hear all their names? You should read us the list of names, Jill, please, before we go into it. I thought we'd agree that on the podcast, we're really keen for people to read the Bible themselves and then we talk about it. Oh, very clever. Good. Yeah. So there's these, there's these people, aren't they? So there's someone from Berea, there's someone from Thessalonica, someone from Derby. I think it's, it's significant, isn't it? That these are people that are now traveling with Paul, who he uh, initially probably brought to faith uh, on his like first and second journeys and I just love that he's taking them with them um, and you know yeah they are coming probably because they there are offerings from their churches which they are taking with Paul to Jerusalem um, but I love that they're traveling with him um, and probably receiving loads of discipleship they're probably worshiping God together uh, learning more together yeah I think that's probably a really significant part of their lives um, is gain, have, have probably been gained from this traveling with Paul. We see again and again, don't we, how invested he is in people and the fact that he's got goes back and visits all the churches he's planted. And yeah, I, I agree, Mary. It's beautiful, isn't it, that they're with him, journeying with him, learning from him as they go. I just really love as well how it's just a little snapshot of what church should be or groups of missionaries should be. Uh, you know you've got slaves you've got Jews you've got people from Ephesus people from the first and second missionary journey and yet and and you've got Paul Paul is there as well but he's not an island is he he's he's sort of we look up to him and think of him as a bit of a lone ranger but he's always surrounded by other people presumably Mm. people very different from him who really challenge him I think sometimes when we think about doing ministry or who we hang out with we tend to surround ourselves with like-minded people whereas I think we can say looking at this that Paul definitely didn't do that and it's interesting isn't it because this Secundus um from Thessalonica we know he's a slave because slaves used to name their children numbers so he was number two Secundus um and and so yeah a bit of trivia for you there (laughs) yeah but it's interesting because when I was trivia up on this 
the 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 name before Secundus Aristarchus or whatever comes from aristocrats so he was probably a really high ranking official or you know a really well to do wealthy guy and he's traveling with a servant isn't he and a slave and so mm. it's a really beautiful picture isn't it that it's encouraged me to push beyond the people that are like me to make sure i've got really gospel really great gospel relationships with people that are different as well yeah, it reminds me of that first. There's no, you know, male or female, slave or free. We're all equal in Christ Jesus. And he's living that, isn't he? Yeah. And both as well. They're all from different, the church, they're all from different towns, aren't they? And so they're all from different churches, but yet there's a real unity. So they, 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 they do land in Troas and there's an unusual incident that happens in Troas. But before we get to the more juicy bit, I guess, um, is there anything we can learn in these verses 7, eight, seven and 8 about the church worship and what was important and is there anything we can take from that? Yeah, so um, a lot of Acts is descriptive rather than prescriptive and what we should do. But the fact is that they meet together and, and so should we. Um, other parts of the Bible talks about uh, in Hebrews 10, it talks about never stop meeting together which is an interesting concept to think about at the moment uh, with all the uh, issues with COVID-19 um, and they come together to break bread you know, there's food involved uh, was this the Lord's Supper like the first sort of instigating of the Lord's Supper the Christians are now meeting on the first day of the week aren't they so the kind of originally I think Jews used to celebrate their kind of sabbat on the saturday didn't they but now here we see i think for the first time that they're meeting on the the sunday which is cool um i would say the lamps like great to have lamps in your worship service but not ones that are going to send you to sleep because they're burning up all the oxygen in the room that so would be a takeaway you don't, you don't think that's an essential then it's got to be on the third story and there's got to be lamps. Yeah. That's not something that we need to replicate no i don't think so like third story okay <laughs> Not lots of oil lamps. <laughs> when you were saying, Helen, about the situation we're at the minute with, you know, there's so many restrictions on our lives. I was really struck when I was reading about this, that they're meeting on a Sunday because they're celebrating the resurrection. And um, the fact that they're meeting in the evening is because they're working. Like, that's not a rest day. Like, like Mary said, like Jewish culture would be Saturday. But um, they're having to meet in the evening so late when people are a little bit sleepy because they've been working all day. Um, but yeah, I was really challenged around, what, it's almost like the, the meeting on a Sunday is a party to celebrate the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. And you don't have a party by yourself, do you? You, you gather people together to celebrate together. And just what a precious thing that is, even in the limited ways we can do it at the minute, that believers come together on a Sunday where we can to celebrate the fact that Jesus and you know it's 2000 years on now but still that's a weekly party isn't it and I was really challenged about that's what Sunday is but then I guess the occupational hazard is death by sermon um yeah and this poor guy who I think that was a young man but they reckon a teenager probably so quite young um yeah fights sleep as long as he can and a combination of the oil lamps and maybe it wasn't Paul's best ever preach and bang. yeah 
Paul, I feel like he gets a bad rap here. <laughs> I know it does say in verse nine, doesn't it? Like in the NIV, it says, as Paul talked on and on. <laughs> like you're like, <laughs> you know, I think they, I think they are saying so. But I do, yeah. I think if you're married I, to a preacher like I am, this is encouraging, you know, even the apostle Paul had bad days. I'm feeling like this could be a go-to passage on, on those nights where Jumpy's like, it was awful, Jill. I was like, did anybody die? No, it's all right. I read the, the description, like the Greek used for young man meant he was actually probably between eight and 12 years old. So it's not, you know, it's not surprising that he fell asleep around midnight um but it's amazing isn't it what happens I mean for Paul can you imagine the shock of like watching this person just fall out the window um you can imagine everyone rushing downstairs and um and Paul kind of throws himself off on this boy it, it reminded me of is it Elijah or Elisha who like throws himself on somebody and prays for they them both did both of them I think yeah um and then he's like don't be alarmed he's alive and you can imagine Paul just being like for you <laughs> um I mean I'm pretty sure he was more faithful than that and kind of knew that God would do a miracle but you can imagine the kind of feelings feelings going on here all the feels so I'm interested to hear from you girls do you think he was dead I mean we've got a doctor with us was he dead or was he not really dead Luke was a physician it's pretty easy to tell whether or not people are dead, especially if they've fallen out of a third story building. Um, but also just a purely practical point. Why would Luke bother writing this story if he was only half dead? I don't, you know, I don't understand the point of the story. If it's not an opportunity for Paul to demonstrate the power of Jesus, if it's not an opportunity for the Christian community to discover life in the face of death, um, what is it? Why would he tell the story if he wasn't dead? Yeah, good point. Yeah, I think I think I'd land on the fact that he was dead. And like Mary said, that whole the fact that he then replicates an Old Testament miracle in some ways does tend to indicate that it was a miraculous resurrection. Is this resurrection then supposed to be? Is it like Jesus's resurrection? Um. Is it a resurrection like Jesus's? No, uh, because this boy, Eutychus, whose name means fortunate, uh, is still going to die. It's a physical um, resurrection, but not a complete one. Jesus raised from, was raised from the dead. He, while he had an earthly body, um, he was raised to eternal life, um, seated at the right hand of the father, whereas this boy Eutychus was only raised into back into his earthly body and will die again similar to uh you know Tabitha Lazarus all those guys yeah okay that's it's it's helpful isn't it that differentiation that Eutychus is going to get to die again lucky boy whereas yeah Jesus's resurrection was final at least and this complete. time he'll be prepared <laughs> well let's hope so That'll be a good question to ask him one day. Eutychus, how did it happen second time? <laughs> did you fall out of something else? <laughs> <laughs> Mary, that's your one. You, you, you can pull that out of the bag. Yeah, so lots of encouragement there. Um, and then we move on to this speech. So Paul moves on and for, re for reasons best known to himself, doesn't want to actually go to Ephesus again. Sails past um, but then calls the um, 
elders of the Ephesian church to come to him. And then there's this, the only speech actually in Acts that is aimed at Christians. So he then speaks to the um, elders from Ephesus. Um, ladies, what struck you? There's so much in this speech. What, um, what struck you or excited you? Yeah, so for me, it was um, verses 18 and 19. I've got the ESV here. It says, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. Um, Paul ultimately was a missionary. Uh, That is uh, part or was in Uganda part of my job. And um, I, as I reflect on my four years in Uganda, this, these two verses really challenged me. Um, he lived among them with humility despite trials. And, you know, when things are hard, that's when humility tends to go out the window. Um, the self tends to become more important than the, than the, than the others around you. Um, but the way that Paul speaks to them suggests sort of a closeness of relationship and shared experience. And I guess the challenge for me here, and even as we're in the UK now is, do the people that I work with or amongst know that I love them, including the way that I behave when I am in times of trials? That's just so helpful. Like, I think it's reflective of the beginning of the chapter where Paul sent for his disciples and after encouraging them, blah, 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 verse two, speaking many words of encouragement to the people. Like he's in, he's in not the easiest situation, is he? He's obviously knowing already that something bad is going to happen to him um, in Jerusalem. And he's gone through a lot of suffering and and you're right in suffering. um, How hard is it to encourage other people rather than kind of just turn in on ourselves? And I don't, you know, I don't think, um, you know, it, I'm not saying that it's bad when people have done that, but it's an it's an opportunity, isn't it, to to encourage people and to reach out to other people in your suffering. I think Paul does that just so amazingly. It's really challenging to me. Yeah, and I was um, just reflecting on this word encouragement. You know, it's at the beginning of the chapter as well as here. Encouragement is not necessarily about fixing your problems or issues. It's walking with people and lifting their eyes from the problem to this to the solution you know um i read something that said flattery makes you feel better about yourself encouragement gives you god you can flatter Mm. someone and say oh you're doing so well in this you're doing so well in this and that is helpful isn't it you know be kind to yourself be gracious to yourself however if we're not helping people lift their eyes from like you said turning in on themselves i guess helping and pointing them towards jesus in the way that paul did throughout his own suffering the suffering of others uh, he he constantly asked people to lift their eyes and he he, as well as telling people to do it he modeled it didn't he you know like just when you were talking then helen in the jail in philippi he didn't run away did he they were they were praising God and thanking him after an absolute beating. And so it wasn't just that he told people to do it. He modeled it. And so like we were talking about the little merry men that were following him around, they'd see it, wouldn't they, as well as hear it from him, which is it's powerful, isn't it? When you can say, follow my example. Like, I, I just think, man, I can't really very, very often say, hey, do what I do. But Paul yeah. can actually do that with a clear conscience, can't he? 
Yeah, and I and living, I guess, cross culturally as well. You know, the question for those of us who do work cross culturally do do we live among the people that we are with? It's easy to sort of live slightly separately. You're already slightly different um, in the way you eat, talk, everything. But Paul, no matter where he was, was all things to all people um, within the framework of the gospel. And, And the challenge for me was, did I do that in Uganda? And will I do that where I'm going to? And that applies too, doesn't it, in, in Manchester and beyond, like, do we live amongst the communities that we want to love and serve, or do we live separately to them? And, and how can we um, live better among them? Like, should more of us move into areas where there are less uh, people? Like, yeah, it's challenging, isn't it? Yeah, he, he, he was all in, wasn't he, wherever he was. Um mm. Some, like one of the things I read to summarize this section was he taught the whole gospel to the whole city with his whole being. And, it, you know, it was that wherever he was, he was all in, wasn't he? I was struck by um, verse 32, um, where he talks about um, now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Um, at this point, the early church had a few letters from Paul and obviously, like, as time went on, they'd come together and form the New Testament. But at this time, they didn't. So Paul actually going somewhere where they knew they wouldn't see him again was huge. And his heart and love for his uh, for these people, I think, is really evident here as he says, you know, I commit you to God like he he's cared for them. He's. Um, watered the seed that's been planted and, 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 you know, he's watched these churches grow. And now he knows that his time is coming to an end to be able to do that. And, and he's, he's giving them over to God who essentially all along and from the beginning and from before the beginning has been doing that work, but he's just saying to them verbally, I commit you to him and to his word. Um, So the ongoing teaching about God and uh, the good news, um, and then eventually, you know, that will become the New Testament. Like we have the whole Bible um, and just how important that is to him. Um, must have been like handing a really kind of precious baby over. Um, but, you know, who is he handing it to? Like the creator um, and sustainer of all things. So he knows he can trust God, but it's like this verbal handing over, isn't it? Yeah. And it's interesting at the minute, isn't it? Living with all the restrictions that we're living with. So often I find myself saying, oh, all we can do is pray. But actually, that Paul knows here, doesn't he? That's the best thing to do, to, to commend them to God and to keep praying for them. That's where the power lies and that's what's going to make the difference. It's God that's going to keep them, isn't it, or otherwise. Um, so, yeah, I, in the last few months, I've often caught myself saying, oh, all we can do is entrust them into God's care. But that's not an all, is it really? I think in this, I think in this committing, it, it's something that applies, I think, to us, like in our ministries that we do, um, in the way that we parent our children, um, in all of these sorts of things, we, we need to keep committing them to God. Um, I think it's so easy, isn't it, to just grasp onto them so tightly. But 
um, really he has been the, the founder and sustainer of things and therefore we need to keep committing them to him when we feel like we're out of control with how our children are behaving or things like that we again need to just keep committing them to him because really he's the one that can make a difference yeah like you were saying prayer is so important it's interesting isn't it Be- I guess because Paul's moving on he has to do that like that's all he can do but actually often when we're still in the same circumstance we kid ourselves don't we that we're the deal breakers and we're going to make the difference when actually spiritually it's always the spirit that makes the difference isn't it and yeah yeah I just think often because I'm still in a circumstance I I put too much emphasis on my input rather than it's God that changes hearts isn't it and that changes circumstances and situations yeah and he says that in verse 32 doesn't he it says i commend you to god and to the word of his grace which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance amongst all who are sanctified so what is it that actually does the work here it is the word of god's grace i think that just reflects and builds on the things that he said earlier in the um earlier in the speech about the whole counsel of god you know uh, telling the whole gospel correctly the word of his grace you cannot you cannot um share the gospel without sharing you know you share the promise of salvation that is in the word of his grace but you can only share that within the framework of of judgment um you know not shrinking he talks doesn't he constantly about not shrinking not shrinking not shrinking i'm not shrinking from testifying to the gospel of the grace of god because it uh, it builds you. It builds up your church. It is what is going to enable you to be saved. Don't depart from it. Yeah, and I was really struck by the, how realistic he is about the fact that there will be wolves and there will be false teaching and there will be things trying to snatch that away. Um, and yeah, verse 28 was really landed for me about almost you've got to pay careful attention yourselves and then to all the flock and I just think so important isn't it that we are making sure we're being fed by the word of his grace and by the whole counsel of God ourselves and that our hearts are being fed and nurtured and growing so that we can then help others I just there's no shortcut to that is there you can't you can't minister God's love and grace to others if you're not receiving it yourself and so I, yeah I found that actually his advice to guard against the fierce wolves was make sure your hearts are right and then you can help others um with the whole counsel of God and it's interesting the phrase isn't it in verse 28 is pay careful attention to yourself so that's not tick a box to say that you've read the Bible today, but that's be aware of what's going on in your heart. Pay careful attention to your soul and um, make sure that you're bringing those things to Jesus um, so that your heart is depending on him and then you're able to help others do that. Yeah, we want to make sure that we're not telling people that they have to be perfect, uh, you know, or reach a certain standard in terms of holiness before they can support others it's easy isn't it I think nowadays to take what we're saying and think oh well in that case I only need to look after myself because I'm not in that place that's not what we're called to do no it's a fine balance yeah it's really fine balance isn't it because actually if we want to 
give spiritual help, we've got to be receiving spiritual food ourselves. Do you, do you think that's fair? Yeah. No. Mary, you're quiet. I was about to say, I've noticed that Mary is disagreeing here. No, actually, I was sending a text. <laughs> well, I'm glad that we've got that. Um, I'm glad this chat's really... <laughs> I, I think we need to be praying for Mary. I'm so glad I woke up in the middle of my sleep, specifically <laughs> for this moment. Helen Shepard is working nice. nights at the minute, people, and she is committed to this project. She's paying careful attention to her heart, and Mary is texting in the middle of the discussion. Right? Well, just oh come on, there. Jill. You you tell me that you've never sent a text in a Bible study before. Come on. Uh, I can't tell you that because it would not be true. <laughs> um. Okay. I'm really. Go on, Helen. You look like you're about to say something. I was just going to say. I think. Um you know, you were talking about nurturing uh, your own heart and things. I think that uh, comes out in 31. He says, therefore be alert, remembering that for three years, I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. It's in remember what it is that you have heard. It's kind of the equivalent of what are the truths that you know about God that I have taught you? So the equivalent, the way to guard against know wolves or ensure that you're taking responsibility for yourself is is to pay to remember truth and how can we do that today we look to the bible because that's the only place where we can find complete and utter truth and these people that paul's talking to don't have the bible they have the torah but they don't have paul's letters because he hasn't written most of the new testament yet and so really it was a huge challenge to me because I was like I actually don't have as many excuses as I think I do these people mm -hmm. remain faithful and remembered despite only having what they tell each other to remind each other I just found it a real kick up the bum mm. Mary's back with us now with her very deep profound ums her text is <laughs> over um I think that one of the overriding things from the whole speech that struck me was it's a communal business, isn't it? Staying faithful to Jesus, walking for him um, is it's a team effort. And he's passing the baton on, isn't he, to the elders in Ephesus. But all the way through it, it's the church and together you do this and together you um, are on the lookout for wolves and together you're laying your lives down for each other. Um and yeah, I guess and I it's kind of... bigger than just Paul, isn't it? Because of that, it's he's passing it on to the team. Sorry, Mary, over to you. No, I was just going to say, I think this whole chapter really warmed me to Paul um, in his ministry and the way that he loved the people. Like, I don't know if you've read the context. Uh, is it in 2 Corinthians 7? He talks about how, like, nerve-wracking it was for him to write to the Corinthians and then wait um, and find out kind of what their reaction had been he kind of half regretted sending the letter but then he was kind of happy that he did and he was waiting for Titus um, they think that he probably went to Macedonia again to, to try and meet up with Titus and then Titus didn't come for a bit and it was I 
get confused with all the geography of it. But then Titus did come and Paul was just so incredibly relieved that the Corinthians had received the letter well and then they had repented. And then he wrote to Corinthians. So there's that context to like the beginning of this chapter, like Paul, like desperately worried that he's like hurt his relationship with this church and he wanted to preach truth, truth to them. But he... Um, was worried about their reaction and then we've got Paul here just like pouring out his heart um like it's such a an intimate picture of his love for them isn't it was his heart for them isn't it and just how much he he knows that he's going to go on and face things that he's probably afraid of I mean we've heard already in Acts that God comes to him and says don't be afraid um so he must have been afraid at times and yet he's still outwardly you know loving people and encouraging people and and you know we'll see in chapter 21 that people are like don't go don't go um and yet he's so he's just so brave isn't he um and I find that really challenging um he's got such a a, a heavenly perspective um on er and everything hasn't he um it's fascinating, he isn't it? Go on, Mary. I was just going to point out in verse 22 where he says mm. he's constrained by the Spirit. You know, he's got that sense of he's got to go. He's got to face these hard things that are coming um, because, yeah, he's bound by the Spirit within him to go and do those hard things, which is super mm. challenging. Yeah, like verse 24 I consider my my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. I mean, he has such a heavenly perspective, doesn't he? Um, and I think it's just really challenging. I think when I fear and when I become grabby with things in my life, it's often because I've lost that heavenly perspective of this isn't everything. Um, heaven is is much better and much like forever. Um, and he gets that. And I think often I lose that. Yeah, thanks. That's helpful. Now, right at the end of this chapter, we have this, the, oh, I guess, the gospel goodbyes, where he's actually got to say goodbye to these guys that he loves so much. Um, what, both from this, these verses, but also from your experience, ladies, of having to live with gospel goodbyes in the missionary life, what is sweet and what is bitter about gospel goodbyes? Um, I think the hard thing about goodbyes, I've realised, is that you don't know whether you're going to see people again. I mean, Paul knew that he wasn't going to see these people again. But I think often when we say goodbye, um, I think really the reason I'm so sad is because I often, I think I find myself believing that I might not see these people again. Um, and I just think that's that's really hard, isn't it? That's the bitter part of going um you're so you miss out on so much when you're away um and you know you, you leave and someone's child is one and you come back and they're two and they're so different and they don't know you anymore and they cry when you go near them and stuff like that it's really hard being apart um so yeah that's the really bit of it um I think the uh for me, the sweet bit is is that like Paul's perspective, like it isn't it isn't actually forever. Um, we are going to spend eternity with with the people that we're leaving, um, and it and it's therefore it is temporary. Um, a verse that I absolutely love, um, which I cling to when I have to say goodbye to people, is in Hebrews eleven, um, verse kind of thirteen to. 16 really but the bit I really kind of cling to is this bit in verse 16 where it talks that instead they were longing 
for a better country, a heavenly one. Um, and for me, that better country, I long for that better country and goodbyes teach me to long for a better country because I, it, goodbyes kind of shift your perspective and make you realize that life is bigger than just being with all the people that you love all the time. Um, and one day we all will be together uh, for a long time. So let's, let's get stuck into what God's got for us here. Um, and then we can all be together again in the better country, which That's is good. heaven. Thanks, Mary. Helen? My uh, sweetness about goodbyes is the knowledge that... Um, so I think, first of all, I just want to put this into framework. On the, on the mission field, you are constantly saying goodbye, constantly. Um, I mean, every two or three months, I would be saying goodbye to somebody who I might not be very close to, they might be 12 hours away, or they might be in the next door country, but there were constant goodbyes. Um, the sweet thing for me in that was that whenever they were leaving, or eventually when I left, it was the knowledge that actually, they're usually going to far flung places. And that means that either the gospel is being taken to that place, or they're going to a new place and they're going to share encouragements about what's been going on where we were with those churches, with those people that they're going back to. And I mean, it sounds very sort of acts going back to churches and encouraging and sharing news, but that I do find that really encouraging. It's that concept of not being alone in the work um, despite having the, the goodbyes um yeah the bitterness is just the constant you uh i guess this is a real bittersweet thing that you it like mary said it pushes you to rely far more on uh your relationship with the lord jesus rather than uh relying more heavily on friends so for example I, when I went back to Uganda after home assignment, I had struggled a lot with loneliness in the first, first half of my assignment there. And during home assignment, I said, you know, I think it'll be, I said to Paul, I think it'll be okay because I can manage this second uh, assignment out there because my friend, Kelsey, who lived seven or eight hours away, but she'll be there. So I can talk to her on the phone and um, we'll be able to see them a few times a year. It'll be great. And I can, I can cope if that happens. Uh, within a week of us arriving back in Uganda in September, 2019, Kelsey and her family told us that they were leaving Uganda for good. And that just really exposed to me the, um, my heart what was i relying on and so it's it's bitter because it it, it points out your uh what it is you're relying on um but it's sweet mm. because you know that they're going to something that god has called them to and that's exciting as well yeah thanks ladies i i've we've I've, we've all got a friend here at um church who said to me maybe five years ago now, I am going to stop getting close to people that are called abroad because it's just too painful. And I sort of said to her, don't do that because I, I guess it, I, I, we just had a really helpful conversation about trying to reframe that emotion. And actually, 
when I have hard goodbyes with you guys or others, I think when the tears come, I try to see those as a gift, aren't they? Because they're a sign of the love that we share and the, the precious things that we've had. That, and that's a gift, isn't it? And so I think when the tears... And it was interesting this time when... Um, you guys were leaving and one of my 10 year olds for the first time really sobbed because it was so hard for him to lose his friends but just trying to say to him that those are good tears aren't they and tears aren't a bad thing like and like we see here they're weeping as they say goodbye to Paul but that's just a precious sign of the love that they share isn't it I don't remember you crying when I left I, I hid it I blinked I it well it, it get it. It's the pricking in the eye. He was crying on the inside. I blink hard. Crying on the inside. Thanks, Jill. Thanks, ladies. It's so great to talk to people that are living this as well and living the reality of gospel goodbyes with all their bitter and sweetness. Um, thanks for joining us, everybody. See you next week for the next bit of Axe.